We arrive at 1932 in a world marred by a global depression to a village not many people in Europe have ever heard about, a ski resort built using that sweet, sweet library classification cache, a lake disappointingly free of crocodiles. It's Lake Placid. And this is the third-ish Winter Olympic Games. confident enough to just go with thirds because like what happened in the first one you know and then we also had bits of winter about the place I don't know I just didn't feel confident saying definitively that it's the third are you are you definitive is this a third yeah so I thought you were talking about yeah those earlier games with winter events but they were not yeah. winter games and they were they not winter, winter olympopods so Yes. No, they weren't. So this this is the third Winter Olympopod. Yes. So I, I suppose I could have gone with that. But anyway, sure. Look, here we are. Uh, there's a global depression going on, by which I mean 1932. Uh, no one really wants to go to Lake Placid because it's very expensive and the exchange rate is awful. And as a result, I think we only had like 17 countries correct uh, participate. The organisers had to pay all the expenses just to have the German ice hockey team turn up. But the IOC were happy that the Winter Games were taking place in the same nation as the Summer Games. Um, There was still that unofficial rule that has been so very much religiously uh, followed that the the country that hosts the Summer Games should have hosted the Winter Games. Uh, (laughs) Samaritz. But they, like, I mean, they didn't, they expressed doubts about whether anywhere in the entire Americas had a facility to host a Winter Games. And the uh, Californians weren't happy because, of course, they were, they were hosting the Summer Games and the world's largest ski jump had already been built in Big Pines for the occasion. But the IOC passed. They were like, nah, scrap. They were raging, the Californians. Not- Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> like, to the- <laughs> I don't know, what, don't know what you want me to do in this year 2021. Like, I'm sorry. To, to the extent that they actually said they were, they were thinking of hosting their own games at the same time because they had as much a right as anyone to be hosting a Winter Olympics. And okay, but they but they didn't they didn't go ahead with it. Like I mean, it's not as if other other people didn't do this before to great success. So like you know, if they really they should have had their the balls to do it, and then and then me, maybe this would be a longer Olympopod. But because of the, their cowardice, I don't know how long this Olympopod's going to be. <laughs> but Franklin D. Roosevelt had a big part to play in uh, making it happen. Right, he backed it. Uh, not financially per se, but he backed it politically. Yeah, because they had to cut down a lot of trees, and there was something in the New York Constitution that, like, you weren't allowed to cut down trees, but like three thousand two hundred had to be cut down. And environmentalists were not happy, but uh, they went to him and they were like, "Here, we want to knock down some trees," and he uh, sorted out the old uh, Constitution. That was for the was that for the bobsleigh track? Yeah, it was. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it yeah. in return. Uh, Roosevelt's wife, Eleanor, got the opportunity to go down the bobsleigh run 
just days just days after a number of serious hospital inducing injuries. They're called occurred. spills, Chris. Spills. Oh, there were a hell of a sp- a hell of a lot of spills in this one. <laughs> Eleanor went only went down the second half of the run though, and without injury. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, I think that's absolutely fair. Um, I should just mention, since I've already alluded to it, um, and it's an odd thing to leave hanging otherwise, uh, at the start I said it was Sweet Library Classification Cash, which had built the resort, and that's because Godfrey Dewey was instrumental in getting the games to Lake Placid. He was head of the Lake Placid Club and son of Melville Dewey, the eponymous creator of the Dewey System. So, what what is the Dewey Decimal System, Ruth? Uh, like, I mean, it's how you organize all your books, you know, when you're in college and you have to get a 13.05.14BHQ. That thing, Chris. Um, but I, just I, the- want, I just wanted to, I just wanted to, <laughs> to have you explain it on the podcast. <laughs> but anyway, he didn't just do that. He also founded the Lake Placid Club as a summer resort for wealthy New Yorkers. And, like Bad Ruth and Sam Moritz, saw that there was year-long cash to be made by promoting it as a winter resort too. He was also, Chris, the founding member, as you would guess, uh, of the American Library Association. Bush was forced to retire in 1905, and just keep that in mind, Chris, 1905, mm-hmm. due to allegations of racism, sexual harassment, and anti-Semitism. Like, wow, a like, triple threat. A triple threat, but like, imagine how bad those allegations have to be to be forced out in 1905. Yet he managed to regain uh, whatever power and influence he had 28 years later. Not even 28 years later. Well, his son did, but yeah, we'll also get to that later. So yeah, <laughs> it does kind of come up again. But yeah, it's it's just, I find this amazing that, like, you know, in, in this age where we have people arguing whether people are getting cancelled on Julie, no, they're not. Like in 1905, he was so racist, so harassy, and so anti-Semitic that he got kicked out of his own club. Impressive. Very impressive. 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 A man uh, ahead of his time. Mm, very much. In that sense. Or not at all. Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, can we talk a little bit more about this bobsleigh track, which, uh, as I mentioned, was uh, deadly. And uh, not deadly in the Irish, that's amazing sense, more deadly in the potential to kill sense, which uh, some people might uh, believe is yeah, almost the same thing. But the German four-man bobsleigh team had a particularly tough time with it. In fact, the Germans as a whole with the bobsleigh, uh, they had to, uh, yeah, they had to dig deep. Let's just say to to find the people to actually do it in the end. Um, the first team, so Germany won. They went for uh, round runners instead of hollow ground runners at the bottom of the. Uh, sled which everyone else every other competitor had and uh, they were even told by one of their rivals uh, the american billy fisk who was the head of the satan team we spoke about in the last olympopod famously he said famously he said boys you should uh, swap that but they uh, ignored uh, his uh, his helpful advice and in their very first practice run sailed off the track at 
White Face, that was the name of the corner. Other corners included Shady Corner and Zigzag. And uh, they flew into the woods and all of them went to hospital. One of them with a fractured skull, one of them with a fractured spine, and one of them with a severe cut. It's a spill! That's one hell of a spill. Yeah. And, um, yeah, flying 50 meters through the air, that one. And unsurprisingly, that team withdrew. <laughs> Two days later, the new Germany one, with Fritz Grau, also took off another spill, landing in a trackside tree, leaving the crew severely injured. What are the trees that didn't get cut down? Oh no, they were wishing that one did. Uh, this left Hans Killan's sled. Uh, Germany to become- 2? That was uh, Germany three originally. Ooh, okay. <laughs> now promoted, now promoted to Germany one, and the Germany two uh, was filled with Germans living in the United States, with only their driver, a champagne seller, Walter van Mum, uh, with prior bobsledding experience. <laughs> the uh, the Belgians were also eliminated in their trailing runs. Uh, with a capsizing uh, sled and a dislocated shoulder for Max Huben. And um, meanwhile, while these practice runs were happening, the American sleds were nowhere to be seen. <laughs> they were decided probably wisely to make some adjustments. And six crews in total did not even start the competition. Such a wasteful expense but right. so this is very interesting chris because one of the facts that i had picked up on was that uh, george uh, gisling known as hitler's man in hollywood made his first appearance on the world stage at these games he was on the germany two team but i don't know now maybe after you've said this maybe he was on the germany three or germany four team well he, he was on germany Four upgraded to Germany too. Right. He was one of he was one of the chaps who who they found was wasn't he he was like the consort to the USA or something at this point. But, but so what I had heard was was that there was another event that not even at Lake Placid that's like in the warm up events for themselves in Germany at Mount Van Hoevenberg there were also numerous spills resulting thought, in half the German team being debilitated. I, I thought Mount Van Hoevenberg was the one in Lake Placid. Oh, is it? Well, Chris, it has a very German name. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like I could be uh, excused this one. We we can take that one out. No, no. Okay. Keep in my ignorance. Okay. Good. Yes, <laughs> it was all a dream. You were but, in America the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but there was also another Nazi who had severe injuries from Switzerland. He was left unconscious for five minutes after, which seems grand, after a practice run. Yeah, so it was a real, um, yeah, good for the early, like the preemptive strike against the Nazis. Not so good for the bobsleigh competition, I think it's fair to say. Uh, also, the, <laughs> the event didn't start until the uh, 14th of February. They had to keep holding it back and it actually took place after the closing ceremony. Uh, they, they planned then to like squeeze it all in. In one day, the competitors protested and they had uh, the third and fourth runs on the following day. Now, as I previously mentioned, we had Hell and Satan from Team USA in 1928. Now welcome the Red Devils. They oh, really love these yeah. hellish themes, right? They're so inventive. Uh, 
Um, however, the winners were indeed Billy Fisk's team, which presumably were still called Satan. I didn't see this anywhere in 1932 writing, but I, I guess he, he's just still called the same team. Uh, they managed to win gold and overcoming uh, team Red Devils, which was uh, headed by Henry Homburger, who had a serious advantage here because his construction firm, Smith, Golder and Homburger, had been enlisted by the designer of the bobsleigh track to uh, consult on the final design of it. <laughs> so he had a serious inside knowledge here. But Billy Fisk uh, managed to win his second gold medal. He won it four years ago uh, at the um, age of 16 only. And he was the flag bearer for the US at these um, at these games as well. Unfortunately, that, that would be his final Winter Olympics. Uh, he was killed in 1940, flying in the Battle of Britain, the first American fighter pilot to be killed in World War II. So I'm looking up Mount Van Hovenberg because <laughs> who would have thought? It doesn't look that high. Look, looks looks like a bit of a mount. But anyway, lovely, lovely uh, bobsleigh track still there. Um, yeah, who would have known? This is going to be some valuable information. Spoiler for the 1980 games. <laughs> it will indeed. And um, I want to go to one more thing on Fisk's bobsleigh team. Go first, uh, Chris. Before we go on, because... Now, real Olympopod fans will or may remember this name. If you they don't. better, if uh, yeah, if they don't, you need to go back and listen to every single one because we will be testing you at the end of the year. Uh, does that allow me to test you here, Ruth? Absolutely not. Because okay. <laughs> <laughs> in his team uh, was Eddie Egan, mm-hmm. who famously, famously gold medalist. At a previous Olympics for boxing? For boxing, Ruth. But you're going to like this even more because I'm not even sure if we spoke about him in the Antwerp 1920 Olympopod. I don't think we did. I think he might have featured in our Inter-Allied Games 1919. And if you haven't listened to us, what are you doing with your life, listeners? Exactly. So he was in the Inter-Allied Games 1919. If you don't know what that is, you've got to go back and listen. Then crowned Olympic champion at light heavyweight in boxing in 1920. At the age of 30, he accepted an invitation uh, from the head of USA bobsleigh, Jay O'Brien, uh, who was looking for somebody strong to push the sled. And uh, Billy Fisk uh, was the head of that team. He accepted and uh, he said to his wife, guess what? I'm off to the Olympics. And <laughs> that's what he did. Went to Lake Placid uh, to compete, having never sat in a bobsleigh before. I, I was just going to say, I don't find that that uh, peculiar because so many in these early games never seem to have sat in a bobsleigh before. No, and it very much is in keeping with early Olympics. And uh, he remarked... Sure, 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 sure. Team USA even um, recruited Eleanor Roosevelt, so... Exactly. In the... Uh, lesser known third team that didn't get anywhere near the medals (laughs) i felt the change would do me good he remarked and so it would he would become the only athlete ever to win two or to win gold in both summer and winter olympics a few have won medals in both he's the only one to win gold 
in both summer no. and winter. You're incorrect. Don't don't even he's, start. He's, don't no, even start with no, the no, ice no, hockey. No, 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 no. He's the he's the only person to have won gold in two different sports about the summer and the, the winter because we had Gilles that skater. Yefstrom. Yes, Gilles Gilles yeah. uh, Yefstrom. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A winter yeah, yeah. sport just, just... and a summer sport. But it's just, we have a very impassioned listenership and they might write in and be like, what about that other time two Olympopods ago, about six months ago when you said, ah. so just, let's just clarify. Fair. He was the first, he was the first to win gold at the summer and winter games in separate sports. Bingo. Thank you. Bingo. Always here for you, Chris. Always here for you. Sure, will we, will we, will we run off to the speed skating? Please. Yeah. Um, Team USA took a clean sweep in the speed skating. Jack Shea taking gold in the 500 and 1500. Irving Jaffe winning the 5000 and 10,000. Finally got his medal. Finally got his medal. Uh, Though we also had, for the first time, women taking part in three demonstration events of speed skating. And the Scottish-born Canadian, uh, Jean Wilson, won the 500 meter uh very sad she was 22 when she took part in the event uh but would actually die the next year from an autoimmune disease and in 1934 the toronto telegram commissioned a trophy in her name for women's speed skating and it wouldn't appear in the olympics for another what 30 years no it wouldn't and i'm gonna mention another sport later which had men involved and they seem to have got medals it doesn't seem like in these two events, it, it's still listed as first, second, and third, whereas other demonstration sports are actually listed as gold, silver, and bronze. So she she was given first place in this, in this event. But going back to Irving Jaffe, and of course we did speak about him in the last one, but to go a little bit deeper, he was born in 1906 to Jewish-Russian emigrants and grew up in the Bronx. He had a promising baseball uh, career, but he always had a passion for the ice. And he actually took a job as an ice cleaner at his local rink because he couldn't afford the entrance fee. By the 20s, he was winning competitions across the USA. And of course, he earned his place to Sam Moritz, where, as we know, he finished fourth in the 5,000. Um, but when he arrived at his home games... He recalls seeing signs saying no dogs or Jews. Again, a bit of the Melville Dewey touch, perhaps. In spite of this, he would go on to take two golds, as as we've said, in the 5,000 and 10,000. But there was a bit of controversy here in the early men's races uh, because the organisers, it has to be said with the IOC's complete agreement, had made a change to the format. Previously, the speed skating was decided by fastest time. So the participants were racing against the stopwatch. But in 1932, organisers thought, and it has to be said probably rightly, that the American system of making them all race each other pack style would be a lot more exciting as well as ensuring that the same ice conditions were there for all the participants because as we know in these events sometimes the ice melts to deadly results um the european protestations were actually briefly upheld and some of the races were redone 
against the stopwatch. It didn't make any difference to the standings, and so the rest were just continued on with the pack. I don't know racing. if any of them were against the stopwatch, but I will trust the dictionary here. Chris! None of the finals were. That I know for a fact. Yeah, but that's why I said the early ones were. And then okay. it, re- it was reverted yeah. back to the pack style. That's what I said. Okay, good. I think pack style is more exciting. That's where in future Olympics we've had a lot of drama and time against the time or time trial racing of any kind is never interesting. I'm sorry. And in and in pack style, you can also uh, have more instances of spills. Oh, lots of spills, yes. But yeah, because of that, the, there was not so many top non-American competitors. So Klaus Lundberg, who was the four-time Olympic champion and reigning world champion at this point, he'd been in North America before. He knew that he stood no chance against these tactics. So he tried to complain before the Olympics uh, didn't get anywhere and so he didn't go the dutch didn't send anyone because they knew they wouldn't stand the chance and as you said the u.s won all four events there were only two medals that were not taken by americans or canadians and the new york times commented it was mark twain who once remarked that people often complain about the weather but no one ever does anything about it in like fashion, the Europeans have been complaining about the Americans got a style of speed skating, but no one has offered a real solution. Well, the Europeans took back their ball and played their own rules by the next Olympics. So they did do something about it. Like, I'm sorry, what does he mean I never do anything about the weather, though, complain about it? Like, I haven't taken a flight in a very long time and I reduced my red meat. Like, what does he want me to do? I'm afraid Mark's not here to answer that question. Anyway, Jaffe was hit incredibly hard by the depression, uh, resulting in him pawning both his golds. Later, he then did get a job on Wall Street, but when he went to retrieve his medals, he found that the pawn shop had gone out of business and he was never reunited with them. But we will we'll end this on a high. <laughs> he was fully back on his feet by the 30s and even appeared as a camel cigarette ambassador. And in 1934, he was featured in a full-page ad with the tagline, It takes healthy nerves for Jaffe to be the world's champion skater. Steady smokers turn to camels. Ah, smooth. Very smooth. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Jack Shea, who you mentioned, uh, began a legacy of Olympic competitors. Uh, His son, Jim... So there was Jack, Jim, who was in the cross-country skiing in 1964 and 68. And his grandson, Jim Shea Jr., was in the 2002 Winter Olympics and won gold medal in the skeleton event. Yeah. Um, However, Jimmy Shea Jr. also this year was accused and pleaded guilty to sexual abuse of a child. Okay. Yeah. Ah, That wasn't where I thought that was going. I thought you were going to mention that that Jack Shea died after being killed by a drunk driver on his way to see his grandson win gold. Yeah. But no, we actually went even darker. Yeah. Now, I skipped that bit, well, because <laughs> I found some worse information, I'm afraid to say. Yeah, and and is aren't they, like, 
the heroes of Lake Placid, as in like they're actually no. from Lake Placid? Not anymore. Mm. Well, of course, I'm sure Jack Shea is, but uh, the third generation of Olympi- Olympic Shays, not so much. On to the ice hockey. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Swiftly. And you mentioned there that the Germans were uh, basically paid for by the uh, organizers, right, to attend uh, because there were so few teams that actually entered the tournament. Only four in the end with Canada. Uh, Germany, Poland, and the US, and it was the Canadians again who took gold. But this this was their toughest test yet. They played each team twice and beat the US two one in the first time they played them in overtime. And then by the final game they played, it was actually a two all draw after triple overtime. So they said it was going to be a draw in the end. But even though Canada had failed to win a match for the first time in Olympic history, they were the best team overall and won the tournament. And because there were only four teams, the organizers decided to uh, add a series of gala games as well between the four national teams and two clubs, the McGill University in Montreal and the Lake Placid Athletic Club. And uh, there was a really unique event on the 11th of February during the games when the Canadian and the US teams merged together for a match against Lake Placid. All of the players won, uh, wore the American jersey, uh, but the Canadians wore their own stockings. And the exhibition clash was one of the best games in the entire Olympics, noted the report. Uh, the unique USA slash Canada side won 3-2. And the game was played in an excellent spirit, Ruth. Oh, that's lovely. See how we bring the tone right up yeah. again? Yeah. And, I mean, to stay on the ice, I have absolutely nothing on the figure skating because I kind of felt that, like, we kind of all know who won. We, we mentioned it in the last one that they were going to win more this time. There was There's no new characters. But, interestingly, it was the first ever time that uh, the figure skating took place indoors in the Ale- Olympic Center Arena. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm sure I don't know how good a spirit, but it was probably better conditions. Yes, and um, no, no flags needed to point out particularly dangerous patches yeah. of the ice. Uh, Sonia Henney won the women's, as you said, but she was she lost one record <gasps> at these games in that she was no longer the youngest Winter Olympian. That was taken over by Cecilia College mm-hmm. from Great Britain. Interestingly enough, there were only four British competitors in the entire games, all four of them female figure skaters. Uh, Cecilia College was one of them. She was just 11 years old at the time, and she'd only really realized what figure skating was four years earlier at the World Championship, uh, which were in, was in London. She was enthralled by Sonia Henney and decided she wanted to be like her. She finished eighth of the 15th skaters, took that record, and then managed to win silver four years later in 36, just behind her idol. Well, talking of which, I've just found an, <laughs> I've just found someone, Fritzi Berger, who took silver in this games. She also finished behind Sonia Henney in Sam Moritz taking silver. Um, she was from Austria, she represented Austria, and she never contested in a competition where she didn't finish behind Sonia Henney. 
And in the 1990s, she was interviewed for several documentaries on the history of figure skating. Um, and she said in an interview, I've had two husbands. Sonia even beat me at that. She had three. <laughs> uh. She she did get a gold at the European Championships in 1930. Uh, Sonia was not present. There you go. Wow, that's... Um... That's something. Imagine every single time he competed, there's that little Norwegian there just beating the crap out of you. Just beating you. Just beating you. <laughs> uh, Ruth, I can't believe we haven't talked about the dogs yet. Yeah, I know. Tell me about them, Chris, because I'm delighted that they were here. Well, all I really know is that uh, sled dog racing was a demonstration sport uh, for the first time. We've had different kind of ski oaring, right, and, and sled events, but we had doggies this time. And um, from what I saw, we had little Siberians, large Alaskan huskies and Russian wolfhounds. And they were so precious and valuable to the competitors that they had their, their own special dietitian catering to their appetites. And uh, the dietitian was quoted about their finickety uh, appetite, saying that uh, some want fresh eggs instead of beef. That's all I've got on the dog here. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, but I have a question for you, Chris. Um, now, I know you don't uh, hold much tack with the historical dictionary of the modern Olympic movement, um, but... I didn't see any reference to an Olympic movie, and you've not mentioned one yet. What? What was there an Olympic film? I'm almost certain there was, but I didn't watch it. What, Chris? You always watch the Olympic films. I know, but this time I'm in the middle of working at a World Handball Championship. Even I watched Lake Placid to prepare for this. Oh, tell me about the film, Ruth. Oh no, I, I, I'm I'm talking about the. Uh... <laughs> one with the giant crocodiles <laughs> but, it's, it's, but, since, but since you ask basically there's a giant crocodile in the lake and everyone's like there can't be a giant crocodile in Lake Placid uh, but there actually is and uh, Brendan Gleeson's in it he plays the cop oh disappointing have you ever seen it Chris it's very good <laughs> I've never you should I've watch never it. Seen it I've never seen it's, it it's very, it's very much in my uh you know, in, in the kind of films I like, it's, it's you know, along with Congo, it's a great film. I highly, I highly recommend it. Have you got nothing else on sled dogs? No, when I saw that you said that you had something on sled dogs, I felt like there wasn't. You know, oh. well, g- give me a second, give me a second. Sure, I'm sure I can find something on sled dogs. <laughs> don't need to. No, no, no. I mean, as I said, we don't we, like the time. I only have one extra thing on this, and. um Let's see. Oh, okay. Give me one second here, Chris. Well, the only thing I have on this, Chris, is that one of the competitors, who I don't like, he, he came 11th. He came 11th out of 12, uh, was Norman D. Vaughan, uh, which you, of course, know from being the famed uh, Antarctic explorer. Uh, before this Olympic Games, when he finished 11th, he uh, reached the South Pole. Let me just check it to make sure that's true. Yeah. Admiral Byrds. Yeah. Uh, he participated in Admiral Byrds' first expedition to the South Pole. Yeah, he did. And uh, so that's that was a pretty big deal, only for two years later to come at 11th in Lake Placid. Um, 
he he also uh ran uh search and rescue missions with dogs during World War Two. Nice. And he was present at three presidential inaugurations in the USA. Present. <laughs> where, where, sorry, where, what kind of inform? Where do you find that information? Like, he was present. How is this? Is that on? <laughs> how can that be on your Wikipedia page? He was present. <laughs> I'm just. I am literally quoting the Wikipedia page. Okay. I will. Did he do something nothing. there? <laughs> just he was in the crowd. Or... Yeah, like that's what it says. It says he was present at three inaugurations. Right. But another thing that is here is that in 1994, at the age of 88, Vaughan participated in an expedition to climb Mount Vaughan, named after him. Oh wow, that's great. It's very that's great. That's really good. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You saved that one there, Ruth. Yeah, yeah, I did, I did. Um, or his Wikipedia uh, writer <laughs> saved it for themselves. He was survived by his fourth wife, so he outdid Sonia Henny. Okay. <laughs> Can we make that a thing now for the rest of the Winter Olympic yeah. pods? Who, who managed to get the most marriages in? No, I like. I mean, it is very Olympopod that we have a segment that's just me reading a Wikipedia page. But I do have another great fact because he celebrated his hundredth birthday on the day that we are recording, December eighteenth. Now, this isn't going to be released until Thursday, but December eighteenth is when we're recording. It was in two thousand five. He was surrounded by over a hundred friends and family, and he drank champagne. And it was the first time he had ever drunk alcohol because he had promised his mother he wouldn't drink until he was 100. Five days later, what happened, Ruth? He died, Chris. (laughs) So, kids, do not touch the demon drink. (laughs) Oh, dear. Okay. That's good work on the dog sledding competition. (laughs) That's very good since... uh, all we are not prepared for this. All things considered. Yeah. <laughs> all things considered, yeah. Yeah. What else have you got for us, Chris? So the um the ski jumping, right, in Lake Placid, didn't they then build the current largest one in the world, current at the time, so they beat California with an even bigger ski jump. This is getting a bit ridiculous because they did that at like Samaritz and people were complaining. Right. Like at this stage, they're just trying to uh, course controversy. Anyway, in the ski, ski jumping, there yeah. was the, uh, who many people think is the best ski jumper or one of the best ski jumpers of all time. It was uh, part of the famous Rude family. Unsurprisingly, when you look at all of the winners and silver medalists and bronze medalists of the early games, he's Norwegian. Uh, Birger Rud, uh, in this particular case, uh, his elder brother Sigmund Rud and younger brother Asbjorn Rud, the three of them dominated international ski jumping for almost two decades. He won the ski jumping in 1932 and 36. You'd think I want to get a silver medal in 48. Which Whoa. is really good going. And um Did he have a death wish? <laughs> interesting you should say that because I was uh, <laughs> No he didn't. But just okay. the 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 question of did he have a death wish? Because I was reading I think it was a quote from uh the on site reporter for the New Yorker at these games 
where uh, when describing the ski jumping saying there's something about these ski jumpers that makes me think they want to die <laughs> and so i mean he has a point yes particularly at this time and, and so yeah this um this was a, a great couple of decades for the rude family this was the beginning of it really his older brother did get a silver four years earlier and uh interestingly though we've talked about Sonia Henny, we talked about the Roods. There was also Johan Grutumsbrotten, uh, who was the flag bearer and won the Nordic combined. This was the only time in the first six Winter Olympics that Norway did not win the overall medal table. Yeah, I mean, okay, yes, because no one came, but yeah, it, it, it's still a fact, but like, does need a bit of an asterisk that. <laughs> Not many people came because they were like, this is too expensive and you're giving us a really poor exchange rate. That definitely didn't stop the Americans from going, USA, USA, USA. It never does. Never does. Anyway, that um, that's ski jumping. Yeah. I have a feeling yeah. you have a... Usually, Ruth, you, you save your best for last. You're not like me. I go out, <laughs> I go out strong and fade as the podcast goes on. You usually hit us hard. No, I, I don't. I don't. No, I don't know if this is good. <laughs> it's just. It's just. I found it peculiar, <laughs> which is that you know. Okay, so curling was present disgracefully as a demonstration Ooh. sport. Uh, as I said earlier, the women's demonstration they seem to still be ranked one, two, and three. This does seem like they got medals. Now, it it, it wasn't. It wasn't officially sanctioned, but it does seem like somebody like brought some medals to this event. Um, but it was a thoroughly North American affair with four Canadian teams and four teams from the USA. Um, as I said, it was a demonstration, so there's very little information on them. But the one thing I was able to find was the winning team was from Manitoba and it featured William H. Burns, a Canadian politician and merchant, James L. Bowman, a Canadian politician and teacher, Robert Pau, a Canadian politician, and Eric Willis, a Canadian politician. And all save Robert Pau were sitting members of Parliament at the time of the 1932 Games. Chris, I think this could become a feature that at the Olympics, you have to send some of your elected officials. Uh, I think it would really, I think, I think it would, first of all, shake up the Olympics and it would also shake up our democratic systems. I, that, because there's always, there's always people who cross over from sports yes. to politics, but I think we need to see a lot more crossover from politics to sport. I think this is brilliant. Politics I mean, first. I think it's hilarious. I think it's hilarious that this, like, you know, parliamentary party decided that they were just going to send four of their uh, elected officials to Lake Placid. Oh, so they were they were all in the same party. This was not a cross-party so. coalition here. This was, you know, they maybe they, yeah, this was what they did for fun in Canada, you know, after work curling, and they just happened to be the best in Canada. Were they all the same? It looks like. Give me one second. At the time, they were all con in the Conservative Party. I don't know about Robert Powell. He he was a professional politician, but he wasn't a member of Parliament. And Eric F. Willis 
did go on to label himself a progressive conservative later on. Um, But he was also regional uh, leader of the Conservative Party later. So, yeah, they were all part of the Conservative Party. This wasn't uh, bipartisan. This was very much just the Conservative Party of Canada sent a team to Lake Placid. Fair play to them. Fair play to them. Okay, Ruth. Yes. I think that's all the fun stuff we have from this podcast. So before I don't, I don't know if I like I don't know if I'd characterize all of it as fun. Uh, correct. That is, that is <laughs> so rude. That is all the that's all the information that we have gleaned off the internet for these games. Bingo. <laughs> I, it has to be said. It has to be said that like when I was researching this, I did come across a number of references in books to the fact that this was a very strange games because of the depression. And not much happened, and there's not much information. Yeah, there you go. So I think we did pretty good. I think we did pretty good. I think so. And before we go into one of our world-famous outros, I think it's time to bring back another feature we've had, which is Olympic birthdays. (gasps) And not just because your birthday is coming up soon. That'll be in the, the next Olympopod, I think it's fair to say. Well, well, except that this is this is going to be released on the twenty third, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe yeah. we can we can bring it out earlier. Let's not make any. Okay. Let's not, let's make, not any, make any rash decisions. Because while also, we're I don't think you want to be in, uh, in the same one as this one. Okay. This is this is one hell of a an Olympic athlete I've got here. Okay. And uh, first of all, the the birthday we're celebrating is one that was three days before this recording, on the 15th mm-hmm. of December, 2021. And uh, it's a avid listener of ours, Donal O'Doherty. He and his partner, Julie, had their first child, Noah, who shares a birthday with seven-time Olympic champion Nero, Emperor of Rome. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Was 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 he prominent in the Olympic movement? Oh well, right. <laughs> uh, Nero uh, was, as we know, the emperor of Rome, uh, whose reign was rather notorious. But athletically, he wanted to become an Olympic champion, and um, as he was the emperor, the Olympic rulers wished not to anger him. Uh, he also wanted to be the. Uh, Period on Ikes, period on Ikes, period on Ikes, by winning all four major Greek athletic festivals, Olympia, Isthmia, Pythia, and Nemea, and he wanted to do it all in one year. So the 65 CE Olympics were postponed to 67 so that he could compete at all four festivals in the same year. Uh, Ruth, this also goes beautifully with the fact you wanted more politicians going into athletics. So you know, this was not me- this was not set up, but how beautiful <laughs> it has um, it has turned out to be. So he was awarded seven crowns in the sixty-seven Olympics in the chariot race, the chariot race for ten horses, the chariot race for foals, the competition for heralds. Oh, heralding! Ah, the competition. The competition for tragedy, yeah, <laughs> the competition great. for Lear playing, 
And in an unknown event. Ooh, mystery event. <laughs> Several of these events were made expressly for him and were never held again. <laughs> <laughs> In one chariot race, he drove the chariot, fell out of it, and did not finish the race, but was still declared the victor. It's very Pierre de Coubertin, as we said. <laughs> Incredible. So, a happy Olympic birthday to Noah and to Nero. Uh, well, so I've got one more birthday shout-out. Go for it. Because, we're, as I said, we're recording on the 18th of December. And today is birthday of former guest David O'Doherty. Another O'Doherty. Ah, from another Noah O'Doherty. to but, David. To David. Um, but so I was going to say we don't need to say anything because we've already mentioned Normandy Vaughan, born upon this day. But I've gone back onto his Wikipedia page, Chris, and it said he's. It says in one place that he was born on the 19th of December which means he drank when he was 99 and 364 days and that's why that's, he died five days later one has to one has to assume yeah. anyway what a bombshell it does say <laughs> what a bombshell it does say somewhere else that he was born the 18th but regardless happy <laughs> birthday David O'Doherty and Norman Devon. amazing amazing um, and one last shout out and one last shout out, not a birthday one, just a general shout out to Scott White, who's an avid listener in Cincinnati. Uh, we love all our listeners. So why don't you get in touch, thanks, people? Scott. You, thanks, Scott. Thanks, everyone. Make sure you listen to us and make sure you tell everyone. Well, I suppose you would be listening to us if you're hearing you this. You would already be listening. Yeah, yeah. But the only thing is, is you can tell all your friends also to listen. Um, and your enemies we're not choosy like you know tell your enemies um, and your frenemies uh, to listen to this too like we want to get back into the Danish charts and I think the Danes are kind of letting the side down not publishing any articles about us in the last uh, couple of months I mean I suppose we could probably pick it up and start releasing a few more pods but you know I don't want to take all the blame um, it's, a, it's a chicken and egg situation. It's a chicken and egg it? situation. It really is. Uh, we're going to Germany next. We sure are. Yeah, that should be interesting. At a at an interesting time in uh, modern history. Yeah, yeah. I think all of these times are fairly interesting. Like I think you know the last hundred years or so. If anything, there's just been a little bit too much news. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. Not sure where you're going with that. <laughs> <laughs> but it works.